Hello, I'm Chris Moon, a fellow artist manager, and I will be your guide through Tough Love, Adventures in Artist Management. I'm excited to share my conversation with Josh Sundquist, manager for Boney Bear at Middle West Management. I met Josh a few years back upon arriving in Minneapolis, and while he's been a part of an artist manager's meetup that I run, and always so kind to join in, I wasn't aware of his backstory and long history of working with Justin Vernon until this chat. His passion for live music and its importance to developing connection with an audience and the intent that goes around it is just part of the things we dive into here. Give a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Oh, and if I can ask a small favor from you, I've created a short listener survey, which you can find at bit.ly backslash tough love survey, as well as in the show notes and on our socials. I'd love it if you could take a quick moment to fill it out. Really curious to learn more about you and to also see what we can do to continue to craft the best possible listening experience for Tough Love with you in mind. Thanks again. And without further ado, here's my chat with Josh. I'm Josh Sundquist, uh, artist manager at Middle West Management. Um, and I manage an artist by the name of Boney Vare. Cool. Thanks, Josh, for taking the time to chat. Um, yeah, I've been wanting to, to do this for a while, so very kind of you to carve out the time. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things that I always enjoy about having these conversations, you and I have kind of known each other for the last couple of years, but honestly don't know your history, you know, beyond and before Middle West. So uh, would love, yeah, I would love if you could kind of maybe take us back to when you first started working in the music industry and kind of what led you into, into this crazy uh, career. Of course. Um, let's see how, how to do the shortened, not rambling version. Um, <laughs> Rambling's totally fine. It, <laughs> great. Uh, in, in high school, uh, you know, we were told you had to go get a four-year degree somewhere in college, right? And so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, because that's when you had to decide. Mm-hmm. Um, and I narrowed it down to two options. I was going to go to the UW-Madison and do the five-year accounting program there. (laughs) Or I was going to pursue music and find a college where I could get a degree in music business Um, or something of the sorts. I believe a lot of places called it arts administration at the time. Ah, okay. Um, And full sale... Florida wasn't my vibe. So I was looking (laughs) anywhere and everywhere else I could. Um, And um, also at the time, we had this all-ages venue in the back room of the local YMCA Mm. uh, where I grew up. And uh, some kids older than I at the time had started booking shows there on Saturday nights. And that was our hangout. That was the place we went um, every Saturday. That was our thing was seeing local bands there. Um, And I was always the guy in those bands who (laughs) was organizing the shows or helping to, you know, organize everyone else. And so those kind of factors all pushed me towards doing, trying to find a program in, in music and, but I knew I didn't want to perform. Okay. Right? And so 
I ended up going to Millikan University for a year. Um, they have an incredible music business program, um, which I really did enjoy. However, it's in the middle of nowhere, Illinois. Mm. Um, <laughs> no offense to Millikan. Um, but it's really hard to, I found, um, be active in the music industry, right? right? And so then McNally Smith uh, offered a four-year degree, which was really the only requirement for my parents was a bachelor's <laughs> degree. And so I moved back, uh, moved to the Twin Cities and hit the ground running. Gotcha. Um, doing, I, I was doing everything from booking shows um, and running the door with demo um, and the nonprofit organization here and to ended up getting my dream internship at the time, which was working for a promoter, Mr. Chan presents. Um, and learned very quickly what a dream job in the music music industry looked like, which was a lot of sitting around. Uh, I, I did learn a lot, um, doing contracts, a lot of contract work, all Mm. the, you know, ASCAP and Polestar reporting, sure. you know, menial grunt work. Right. Um, but it worked my way up to doing, running the door and eventually, you know, hospitality and runner situation and ended up learning how to settle shows um, as well. And so that was my first big foray into the industry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- yeah, that's a great place to start. I think... You know, if you have the opportunity, I mean, up until the pandemic, which obviously put everything on hold and nobody could foresee, I mean, and even post pandemic, it feels like live touring or performance is still the cornerstone and will continue to be, you know, for, for artists. So having that background, uh, and experience from that perspective, I think is always a great addition to have because uh, it's so key and it's always it's been my first love yeah it's always you know live performance has always been you know going to concerts and everything since my first one when i was 15 you know uh at roy wilkins auditorium oh, wow. uh, <laughs> first true you know nationally touring tour sure um but yeah that led me to meet um kyle Fernet, uh my good buddy and pal uh-huh. um and uh, worked for his record label, Ambledown Records, uh, kind of as I was finishing school, um, working in the back of class with him on with this new artist, uh, Justin Vernon uh, project. Um, little did I know at that time that that would be the trajectory for a long time yeah. uh, in, in my life. So. Wow. I did, yeah, I guess I didn't realize that you guys were both there at the same time at McNally and at the beginning yeah, of all actually, that. Actually, yeah, and Kyle and I knew each other from booking his Eau Claire bands at the all-ages menu um, at the YMCA in Hudson, where we grew up. So oh, wow. that's where we first met each other. Wow. That's great. Yep. Um, yeah, and that kind of actually spins nicely into, gosh, so many of the touch points of the way you know, you guys and and Justin and that whole crew and, you know, Middle West has kind of really built the business up, you know, it's it's very community focused. It feels like it has been. Yeah. Which is unique in a lot of ways. 
it's mid, very Midwestern of us, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, you know, I mean, that's great. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned, obviously, you know, being around a bit of infrastructure uh, for the industry is important, but so much of this industry is relationship driven and you have to build trust and a, a like-minded kind of perspective. Uh, and sometimes that can come from people that you know you know, and, and out of the way places exactly. versus having to kind of, you know, find those people and vet them, uh, you know, later on in a career, which can be challenging. In it, was, it, it was easy for me to transition really well into working under Kyle because he had just had so much on his plate mm. that he would drop you know drop a bunch in my lap and i would run with it and send it back to him complete it kind of thing you know mm-hmm. and to together uh, i was never afraid of the work of any work really yeah. you know i i believed in at that point you know uh, there was a lot more going on with justin and and there, he was really having his moments and kyle was working you know more hours in the day that I could even fathom. And mm. so any little bit that I could do to help, um, I was glad to take on and really contribute, you know, including vacuuming out the tour, you know, the tour van when the guys <laughs> came back from tour, um, out of the studio. So, um, that, that relationship between he and I grew super quick and super easy because there was just so much to do that it, there was no time to really mess around with what, uh, going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes the best way to learn it just by doing, you know, getting, jumping in there and figuring it out and, and knowing that people have your back and are supportive, but entrusting, you know, but just getting it done somehow, uh, is, is sometimes Absolutely. the best way to go and the best way to learn. Um, what were some of those moments, um, early on? I mean, you mentioned, obviously it, it did kind of, take a pretty strong trajectory around that first Boney Bear record. And then it felt like, you know, there was a moment to kind of slow things down a little bit with the second record and maybe be a little bit more, uh, have a little more intent with how that was, you know, presented. And certainly by the time you got to the third record, but what was the, what was some of the takeaways and tweaks um, that you guys maybe made or kind of the, the early seeds that kind of changed or, or guided you rather towards the, a more uh, intent uh, base perspective with Justin's career coming out of that crazy, all the craziness that occurred around that first record. Yeah. I mean, even you, there was still so much craziness around the second record. You're right. There was a little bit of a break, but um I mean, I moved to Eau Claire when uh, when Justin started recording, really in earnest, recording the second record, um, uh-huh. and spent a lot of time that summer out at the studio, just you know, doing odds and ends, and then um, working with Kyle at his house in Eau Claire. And there, there, you know, looking back on it now, I think there were there were many uh, things that while intentional felt or now feel silly, Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) how much merch we ordered, how, you know, uh, uh, various things. But I, I think the, the most intent 
uh, based thing was we just followed Justin, you know, mm-hmm. it was what his, the way he made that record, um, the way he called upon others to help, you know, to help him see his vision through to the end was really just inspiring and really set the tone for, for that entire campaign. Yeah, no, that that's, that's great. And that's a kind of a rare thing for an artist to have that vision and understanding and humbleness, maybe even, you know, one would say to kind of that's open it up and incredibly rare. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's the other thing that I think regardless of where you may fall in uh, your interest with uh, speaking in generally around Justin's various projects. I mean, it's hard not to look at that stuff and go, man, this feels really earnest and sincere. And I think that's really a sign of a true artist when you can look at it subjectively enough and go, well, whether I get this or not, I, I get what they're aiming for and and the meaning of what that is behind it. And I think... Once you establish that kind of trust and interest in a fan base, in, in you know, then you're then you're kind of like you can do anything. You can kind of go any direction you want to go, and that's such. There's I can only think of a handful of artists who've been able to really build that up, that kind of level of trust up, um, at least in a modern era. You know, where there's just that opportunity to to lean back and just do do what you want to do as an artist in some respects and not not worry about disappointing or losing you know that that trust over time you're spot on i mean i think we it's it's always been there that you know and it's true it's it's a it's true he is true to himself and that has made you know kyle's job and now my job uh a whole lot easier in terms of uh, how we go, you know, how we go about things. I think, you know, I I like to say the hardest part of my job is saying no, because I say no to most things. Mm. Um, There's, and maybe, you know, that's, I'm sure that's true for lots of managers, but um, the, there's there's a the the one benefit to that is it gives time and space to really you know find that intention what you know find the meaning for why we do anything you know mm-hmm. even to why we're, we tour to a certain place or how often we get there or um you know or when to put out records or you know any any special project like that um there's there's got to be an intention and it's usually the intention is usually how can we do something that either hasn't been done or how can we turn something on its head yeah yeah find find an alternative way to to do something yeah it feels like you know you guys quickly kind of moved away after you know those first handful of records towards a more holistic kind of approach to you know, being creative, putting music out when it feels right, I guess, for lack of a better word, but also being able to tour a little bit out of the standard record cycle and and continue to build and grow on that touring to, I guess, a level that, I don't know, I think a lot of people in the industry would have looked at and gone, I don't know if that'll, that'll go that way, but it has, and it feels like it's, you know, it's there to stay uh, based on that hard work and and intent put into 
the live performance side of it too. Um, that, that also seems incredibly rare. I mean, there's just not many artists that, you know, see that perspective of their career and nurture it in that way. Well, it comes down to sustainability, Mm. you know? I mean, I think, I think there is, I think a lot of artists see it as they have one shot, you know, they have one moment to grab and you have to take as much as you can because it isn't going to last, you know, maybe a bit of an athlete mentality. Hmm. Um, but, um, I, I don't know. I think that's, it's, it's not sustainable, Mm -hmm. right? It's not sustainable to be everywhere all the time doing every press opportunity, being at every award show, doing every TV performance. Um, those things aren't sustainable. And so, you know, and, and neither was what, the trajectory that the band was on uh, through the second record. And that was, you know, Justin's spoken a lot about that. And so it took, you know, many years, but it finally got to a place where that is the number one priority, you know, is this is what we should be doing. We feel, you know, is, is, the our place in the industry in the world and so how can we do it in a manner that has longevity that has legs and thankfully we're you know fortunate enough to be at a place to be able to do that right right yeah kind of re-envision it in a way take a beat figure it out and, and just experiment and try new things and that's it try new things right um it's separating uh, you mentioned it before but really we i mean it was a conscious decision to separate touring from the standard record album cycle and it's worked in a way that has allowed you know there to be a, a lack of dates maybe or or you know we don't get to the te- to some certain markets for 10 years um you know we which has been the case quite a bit recently, but we're finally getting to those places and bringing an incredible show at that time, right? That's all encompassing of, of Justin's career, not just um, what is in of the moment. Yeah. Um, I've really appreciated and liked, I didn't, I've, I've seen a little bit about the most recent dates here in 22, but there, there feels like, again, you know, the, the thought that goes into, the production around the show there's you know the way everybody's divided and showcased on stage there's some a continuation and consistency with that now that is really endearing and exciting to see you know it's like you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time but there's some level of comfortability that goes into it as well from a fan visual perspective you know it's like you kind of know what you're signing up for when you buy a ticket to show you don't know what the set list is going to be but you kind of know it's going to be a moment and memorable and that's a really great place to put uh you know your fans in in, and yourself to be able to kind of live up to that each time yeah and i think there's been many you know many a band who have taken a similar trajectory but we've made that our own right Mm -hmm. we've made that thing whatever it might be that whatever the performance is on the night, everyone is up uh, for bringing the best possible uh, 
uh, their best possible selves to that show, right? And usually that includes the fan too, which is really exciting. I mean, I I told my wife this the other day because she's a saint for letting me go on tour as much as I do, which is quite a bit um, because it's a huge portion of the business in terms of, you know, our employees and Mm -hmm. people that we uh, keep around. So I spend a lot of time, you know, working with our people on, on the road. Um, But uh, it's, uh, you know, putting out records because it comes so few and far between really like the most tangible piece of my job, the most rewarding uh tangible reward is the live show yeah and it's such a good one that it's hard to not be there for each and every one yeah yeah no doubt i mean that is such a privilege to work in an industry where you can do that and it's similar every night but it's different and it's the fact that it travels around the way it does um is yeah and, and people show up and it's yeah it's it's an experience that you can't really replace and obviously we we are probably all more attuned to that post pandemic than maybe we even were right. pre pandemic <laughs> but it is um it is yeah no no matter how you you look at it it is such a important you know element to that sustainability and longevity for an artist uh some of the other things you guys have done i think you know kind of lend a hand towards that too with some of the um, charitable uh, support components uh, and of course the way you guys just think through even the most, you know, mundane component to an artist's career like merch and sustainability and whatnot. I mean, was that something that was always kind of in the mix and you were just waiting for the opportunity to kind of lean into it? Um, or is it something that was kind of born out of, again, taking, you know, a bit of time and intent around it. Um, I think, I think it is about it. Maybe subconsciously mm -hmm. it's about, it's about taking that time and having it play out. I mean, I I will say, I mean, like I mentioned, looking back at the silliness of how for the second record cycle, we had just a few designs in merch and, way too many of them <laughs> and when when everything came to an end and that record cycle and all that merch just ended up sitting in a warehouse somewhere for far too long you know one of the weeks a down week one time i spent a week sort of dreaming up ideas of how we could utilize that stock right instead mm-hmm. of it just rotting away and ending up on people's you know uh on people going wait wait, where did you get that and they're like oh i was at the studio the other day (laughs) and you know picked a couple up and it's like okay well let's do something productive with what we have already Mm -hmm. right and that led to the upcycling um which we did uh which was really exciting with a company called Loopworks um out of portland Mm -hmm. um upcycled all of our old merch into new items and that campaign was really successful and that campaign sort of kicked off the bigger conversation with um our what i like to call our sister company ambient inks a rich <laughs> company um fellow eau claire folks um and into how we could continue to expand on that 
great. Mm-hmm. And now almost every garment, almost all the time, as much as we can in the supply chain constrained days, um, is union made, is USA made, is organic, is, you know, uh, uh, as sustainable as we uh, possibly can have it. And so, yeah, it's, it's, um, it, and, and it's about doing better yeah. rather than maximizing the profit. Right. Right. And that's such a great thing to put out there. I mean, so many other artists have picked up on that um, as a, a bit of inspiration. It's part of the time, too, sure. right? Yeah. It's, it, we're, we are in the times where that's uh, fashionable, but also important, too, right? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I mean, there's so many things flying around in the world nowadays. But again, you know, post pandemic, it just felt like during that time frame, um, you know, there's definitely. Uh, a tangible, you know, realistic outcome that uh, that feels, you know, more t- more probable with every passing year as things heat up and get a little crazier. That you know, it's hard to ignore right. taking at least some small and and you know, well intended steps towards putting better things into the world. Well, and that's just it. Is I don't, you know, it's hard not to be filled with dread and uh, <laughs> of, of what what we might see in our lifetimes or in our children's lifetimes or grandchildren's lifetimes yeah. but um the but all you know all we can really do and what we try to do in all aspects i would say of our operation is what can we control and how can we do it to the best of our ability right mm-hmm. so whatever that might be um in merch or in tour in touring um you know limiting the amount of times we fly overseas and or how our gear gets places uh uh or um you know uh putting good back into the world uh through some of our charity initiatives um like you mentioned as well yeah talk talk a little bit about that because i think that too is a real um you know important aspect you know and the way you guys present all that to fans is you know again just kind of perfectly in tune with what you would expect uh, and hope an artist that you know has achieved Justin's and Boney Bear's visibility and, and success to kind of give back in a way but yet it's still very rare to a large degree yeah I mean I think um it, it's, it was very important to Justin. It's something he had done uh, for years on his own, mm. um, of his own accord. And uh, a handful of years back now, we um, formalized it, I guess, uh, yeah. put a name to it. We called, yeah, called it Two Billion. Um, and really, it is, it's an umbrella for all a lot of the charitable organizations that we support, um, mostly uh domestic violence mm-hmm. um sexual abuse victims uh shelters um you know trans protection was one of the uh big organizations we just worked with um and we try to do it um everywhere we go we try to make a, a local impact mm-hmm. um and so we do that through a lot of different ways sometimes front forward facing sometimes not most of the time not um and uh but 
enough that it has, you know, we get regular letters from places where we've made, you know, a visible difference um, in, you know, from being able to buy a passenger van to, you know, move people uh, around or, or uh, help, help them get out of their bad situations um, or whatever we can. I mean, I think the, you know, the, we are, we aren't the experts um, in, in how, in what people need or how to help them the most. And so by partnering with the people who are um, through a, you know, a pretty robust vetting system, we can, we find some pretty great partners and, um, and financially support them in so that they can support people as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it goes back to that community building component, you know, and really tapping in to stuff that, you know, allows you to kind of achieve things that you would hope to in manners that you can. Um, Right. Yeah. Given we're not going to end, end any of those things, unfortunately. Um, So yeah, we do what we can. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Um, And a good, again, a good, you know, watermark towards, uh, you know, hopefully getting other people to, to pick up and run with that too. And just bring a bit of visibility. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Visibility awareness. So it's a, I mean, a similar thing we're doing with our voting initiative in Wisconsin as well, called For Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. It's community building, right? It's voter awareness. Doesn't matter what side you vote on or what your feelings are on one thing or the other. You know, it's about building community. And, uh, and getting people to vote, right? More than 50% or whatever it was, 60% in the last presidential. So, yeah, yeah. Um, no, that's great. And hopefully, you know, all those things slowly move the needle in a good way. Um, in some way, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, at the very least, you can kind of look back and go, well, you know, we were, we made the effort. We're doing what we can and hopefully inspiring other people. Exactly. And that's how, and it's, it, it's working, you know, yeah. it, it is working and that's, it takes a lot of experiments, uh, experimentation to find something, but it is working and that's, and so once we find something like that, we're excited to, to really chase down that rabbit hole as deep as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what, with touring being such a, you know, cornerstone and then obviously a couple of years back, the, um, you know, the pause that was, you know, put on, uh, everyone there, uh, from a mandatory perspective, uh, what were some of the things that you guys did creatively to kind of, you know, take advantage of that time and, and see through it? Um, well, we, we stopped. I think that was one of the biggest things. Um, we, we stopped and, there was, you know, there were moments where it was like, okay, we're going to take the next three months and just not talk about or do anything. <laughs> and six weeks later, there were a handful of ideas on the table, mm-hmm. right? Or opportunities that had presented themselves. Because, um, you know, yeah, right? Even though things did shut down, even though things did stop, the ideas didn't. Right. And, um, has 
I think hopefully led to some really different and cool opportunities that we're chasing down at the moment. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you get kind of in the the rush of it all, even when, you know, the, the MO is to be, you know, bring a lot of intent and thoughtfulness to what you do. But that was, I think for a lot of people, an opportunity to take a deep breath and, you know, hopefully good ideas um, and some inspiration, you know, comes out of that. Um, finding those right. moments can be hard. Yeah. A lot of time to, I mean, 2019 was probably the busiest year uh, mm-hmm. for both Middle West and for uh, Justin. And it took us, I mean, I, I've tran- I went around the globe twice, you know, in <laughs> flights uh, wow. in 2019, which is, see, you know, in hindsight, it's, it's pretty crazy and kind of, you know, uh, explained maybe where I was at personally, yeah. you know, throughout through the course of that year so by the time uh you know by the time that the lockdown started it was a welcome start i think for both um justin and for myself yeah yeah i mean at the end of the day you have to make make what you can out of certain circumstances that are posed upon you right it's it's maybe it's maybe the thing that I don't know, that drives me subconsciously in in everything I do, where it's just whatever's in front of me, I do. And regardless of, you know, what it is, and sometimes that uh, being on tour as the manager, there are a lot of other people who uh, I have done their jobs in the past and mm-hmm. could probably... Um, you, uh, they'd probably like to see me stay home one or two days, maybe <laughs> less on tour. By the end of each run, I maybe uh, raise my hand or, or put my foot in my mouth too many times. Yeah, well, you know, obviously it's it's um, it, it's uh, you know an important aspect and probably hard to kind of you know maybe um, sit back and lean back on. Uh, too much. So, um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you have a good group of people around you, you've had for a long time, I imagine, uh, it probably runs fairly smoothly, um, most days, but I mean, that's the beauty or, uh, I guess a travesty of being on the road. There's always, (laughs) always something that, that, that surprises you. Um, there's always a surprise. You're always with the same folks and always in a, usually a too small of a space. (laughs) True. True. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a family and like most families, it can get a little dysfunctional from time to time, but lots of love. Okay. Occasionally, right. All love. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. It goes around with it. Um, what from a, you know, kind of looking back from, uh, and, and, circling back to the touring side of things. Um, what are some of the challenges with the growth that kind of occurred, you know, kind of moving out of smaller venues into theaters and into, you know, essentially arenas now and amphitheaters uh, when it comes to like production and flexibility, um, you know, to kind of really put on the show you guys want to put on. Uh, I'm sure that was probably, um, yeah, some challenges were probably presented along the way. Definitely. Um, I, I would say the, the biggest challenge 
um, has always been not putting the cart before the horse, or, you know, yeah. as, uh, as a metaphor to use. Um, you know, um, in 2019 was the first arena tour in the U.S., and it was a big question mark whether that was the right thing to do mm-hmm. um, at the time. And, I mean, luckily it was. Um, and, the you know, and the other biggest challenge is you give – uh, everyone on the team has a long leash because everyone has their, um, you know, their strengths that are really, really strong and there's a lot of trust there. And so the vision, you know, there's many a conversation about the vision and then executing that within, um, within reality sometimes is very, very difficult, right? right? Um, you grow from five, semi trucks to 12 and all of a sudden you're you know <laughs> swimming in truck drivers right, right. Um, wow. yeah and those kind of um those are the the toughest conversations to have right um mm-hmm. i think sometimes where it's like the vision is exciting and everyone's excited about it but there has to be one adult in the room and it's usually holding the checkbook maybe. And it's right. usually me. <laughs> yeah. 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 It has to be rooted in reality, keeping a reasonable ticket price, making everybody happy. It's like, that's a lot to, to juggle and manage. And yeah, taking that step, I'm sure out of a theater into an arena. Yeah. You're right. Like more, more trucks, more drivers, catering, like, the whole litany of, of new expenses that probably weren't on the table that, you know, the, all the creature comforts that then decide to come along with that. Cause you have the space. Right. right. So I think we've gone, we went from, you know, the tail end of a truck uh, with backstage cases to now a full truck of backstage cases, you know, uh, <laughs> um, because there's the room and there's the space and, um, and truly you have the creature, you know, those creature comforts that make being away or being in a giant concrete bowl, uh, you know, more exciting every day. Right. So. Yeah. There's something to be said for that, for sure. Um, it, it can alleviate some of that, that stress. Yeah. I, I think there's, there's maybe, there's a part of me that's le- learned. I learned quite a bit of, uh well and i'm still learning we'll always will be to not uh keep carry it all on my shoulders because it was it it was a learning experience for all of us every conversation was something new going into arenas which you know did not um was something i didn't expect that was a surprise to me um you know everything is just amplified so much um more but to be able to pull off those shows every night and in such a high art weird way that that show was conceived, um, mm. you know, was, was really, really satisfying. Like I said, it's that tangible reward to stand in front of house and be in the middle of a, of a large number of people who are all taking part in, a pretty amazing communal experience is truly probably just the number one 
best part of, of everything I do. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and honestly, there's only a handful of artists that come out of that same, for lack of a better word, you know, grouping arena. I mean, Arcade Fire did it. A few people did it, but most people don't take that swing. You know, yeah. most people get pretty comfortable managing you know, whatever uh, opportunities they can hold on to at a theater level, doing multiple nights, you know, um, and and not trying to make that jump, you know. Um, and so something to be said and, and something that actually, you know, is unique and needs to happen, I think, for the industry sometimes to, to make that leap, you know, and give that. It's a different, it's a whole different experience, both for the artist yeah. and the audience, but it is... I don't know. I, I know a lot of people are like, you know, I don't like going to an arena show for a variety of reasons and I get it, but man, I, I don't know. Every time I go and get an opportunity to, it's, there's something kind of exciting about that, you know? It's a scale thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. To be able, I mean, to be able to hang the amount of PA we hung every day, you know, right. uh, not to mention the rest of the, lights and production and stuff we we had every day but the amount of pa and to be able to go up to the 300s to the nosebleeds and uh you know hear it crystal clear as you would if you were down in front of house um was was very cool and and that yeah just that scale of people is pretty <laughs> it's pretty awe-inspiring yeah it's a there's it's just a whole like yeah it's the machinery that goes into that um, yes. is, you know, yeah, inspiring and, and fascinating to kind of witness, um, for sure. I ended up, a friend of mine, uh, put me in touch with, uh, a friend of his who was in town and he was guitar tech for Patty Scalfa when the last time Springsteen was in town, Patty didn't come, so he didn't have anything mm -hmm. to do. So, but just going backstage at a very simple setup that they have, you know, there's really no production per se on stage, but just being, you know back there for a moment was just fascinating you know um somebody Absolutely. who you know basically for the last 40 years have, have, has been performing in in arenas and or stadiums and just seeing the you know the the again the machinery goes into that was just you know eye-opening and kind of like oh my gosh you know right there's a yes the, i think there's um like you said, taking that swing, there's one of the things that it did is it just changes, you know, mm -hmm. changes the dynamic. And so now going, now going to do outdoor shows and amphitheaters, um, it is a whole different dynamic as well. Right. Like right. we were just in Miami. Is it going to rain? Yes. It rains every day in Miami. Right? Mm. Maybe not every day, but, uh, <laughs> it did when we were there. Right. But then not for the show. Oh. So, um, that you know you kind of um it keeps you on your toes it keeps it fresh it keeps it um interesting truly right yeah um yeah and if the yeah that's uh, funny you you landed on that word interesting because that's another aspect of all this it's like i don't know it, it's really easy to to reach a level of success where you just kind of you know, you do the plug and play thing and you don't really venture out or take a lot of risk for whatever reason. Um, and some of that's, you know, viable. Uh, but at the same time, it just feels like as a fan, like, 
oh, what's next? Where am I going to hear, you know, Justin next? And what is this next record going to be? Who knows, you know? Um, but going to a show, you know, it's going to be interesting. And it's, you know, you're going to hear some yeah. songs that are familiar and that you could connect with. And that's a pretty strong, beautiful thing. And my hope is that we continue to do that. And, and it is, it's an intention of ours to continue to do that and to continue to keep not only us on our toes, but the audience on their toes, right. right? Just even, even the slight challenge, you know, the slight challenge of, uh, you know, come see the band in an arena and some, you know, and with 10,000 other people that you've you never had that opportunity before that will, you know, would people respond to that appropriately or, or uh, would they be into that? And they were, thankfully. Um, and, you know, I think there's um, now, now the next challenge will be um, figuring out how to maintain the creature comforts that we've uh, <laughs> come to to really enjoy having with us and the number of people that we've had, you know, to mm -hmm. grow with us and be able to kind of scale that up and down to go different places and do different things um, that keep it interesting, that keep it exciting. Yeah. There's, there seems to be, I've noticed this with a lot of artists, there seems to be a lot of ebb and flow and market to market, you know, obviously there's certain markets you can go into and do, uh, well, actually, Arcade Fire is just looking at their routing for the fall. And they're doing United Center in um, in Chicago, but then they're at the Armory here. And, you know, capacity-wise, right. probably, you know, not super different in some respects as far as the numbers they could do in each market. But, you know, the Armory isn't an arena. It's close, but it's a scaled-back right. small arena. But it is interesting, you know, there's probably some concessions as you kind of ebb and flow through some of those venues. And it's, I don't know, there's something that's really exciting about, I, there's got to be something, I think, pretty exciting for both fans and artists kind of, you know, like right-sizing to markets and playing those kind of variables uh, to some degree. It's It, it kind of... Yeah. I mean, there's challenges, but it's also, you know, hopefully keeps everything fresh. The, yeah, the challenge is what's the best venue to, for the band to play in the market. Mm -hmm. Does the production allow for that? Uh, right. Does the, does the current, uh, well, the newest one does the current status COVID status allow for that. Um, right. <laughs> as we booked every show, this year in the U.S. outdoors, um, mm -hmm. in response to that, and to make sure we can present these shows safely right. for everyone. Um, but um, but then, yeah, how do you uh, um, efficiently route a tour when you can when you're worth different amounts of tickets in every market, right? Right, and still present the similar or same show to each and every fan. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a question I have not answered yet. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't think there's any really easy answer to it, unfortunately, but, um, it is, there's definitely some artists that have gone up to that level and scaled back and excuse me, found a good, um, level of comfort within that, um, mm -hmm. to keep, be consistent with the experience they give. But yeah, it's a, it feels like, 
for a certain type of artist that is kind of uh part of that existential growth you know it's like okay what what makes sense both for the fan experience and business wise you know and when you're looking at really two or three different tiers of types of shows potentially or right. audience sizes in different markets yeah yeah um and when you're a band like Bon Iver, it make <laughs> there there's very little room for flexibility yeah. uh, in terms of how the show is presented right because that's that truly is number one right mm-hmm. what is the is the visual and the audio components of the show at the peak right every night and that's a that's a really hard thing to accomplish yeah yeah but um yeah, worthwhile to put the thought and intent into it and hopefully find a good balance within it. Yeah, exactly. It's a good challenge. It's a challenge that I like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, obviously, we talked a lot about Justin's projects and, and Bon Iver, but what are some of the other... I mean, and that probably takes a majority of your guys' time and focus, no doubt, given the variables involved there. But I know you, know, you guys still work with S. Carey and a few other aspects right but i mean how have how has that kind of ebb and flowed with uh middle west over the years uh yeah with other projects you mean yeah another artist another artist yeah right i mean at one point that the we had you know three offices yeah. and 32 artists um at, at our biggest at our biggest peak um and managing eight employees it was uh you know it was a really big it was a reasonable size operation i would say um and well it was really great and really exciting working with different artists getting different perspectives working with different managers Mm -hmm. getting you know different perspectives um when naturally things scaled back um to being just uh boni Vare and really just me and and molly um things became really clear and what it did is it kind of gave me it gave the space like the pandemic did uh to just say okay this is the thing we're gonna focus on mm-hmm. you know right now and this is how we're going to spend our time which is just finding avenues that um, are interesting to put good art and good in, in general into the world. Yeah, no, that's great too. Cause that's another thing that I've found really fascinating, you know, being a fan of, of middle West and following that arc. It's, you know, again, it's kind of counterintuitive, you know, most people are like, 100%. Let's, yeah, let's grow and let's just do all that we can do. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but there's inherent challenges that sometime take away from maybe a mission or a goal within that or kind of skew it a different way. Uh, and I, I've, you know, really appreciated that arc for you guys because it, it says a lot, you know, and it goes along with, you know, that all that uh, intention and, and thoughtfulness that goes into, you know, Justin's projects and Bon Iver that it kind of mirrors what you guys have done with Middle West is just kind of settle it into a place where it's, 
it's manageable and sustainable versus being, you know, big and robust. 100%. And, you know, with it only being two of us, it means that, you know, everything goes through me really, yeah. you know, every, each, each and every decision is made right, you know, at, at this desk, you know, that I'm sitting at right now. And, um, that can require a lot, right. And it requires a lot of focus. And so not being sort of pulled in multiple directions or, you know, needing to run from one tour or one meeting to another, really gives that time and space to um, contemplate if things are right and maybe for the best, uh, maybe uh, not for the best, maybe gives too much time to overthink things, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it allows, um, it allows for creativity to really come out and to explore things before we actually enact them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the, another part of, you know, that kind of um, dual trajectory that allows for that, you know, I mean, at the heart of it, as a manager, you know, you should have that, you shouldn't just be execution, you know, there has to be some creative component to it too, ideally, depending on the nature of the yeah, artist. It makes it worthwhile, right? It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, ultimately, it should be more of a, you know, a creative partnership on some level, you know. And it feels like totally. there's a lot of opportunity for you guys um, in the world you run in for that. And you can be supportive of other artists in other ways without, you know, being directly uh, linked and taking on that, that you know, sh as you mentioned earlier, just kind of shouldering all of that. Um, it's, a, exactly. it's a unique relationship, yeah. but it can be, um, you know, one that could be almost counterproductive at a certain point uh, for the greater good. Right. I think it's, um, it matches our personality, yeah. right? It's, it's Justin, Justin set a great example in following who he is with his art. And it's, it's, he's been fortunate to be able to continue to do that. And I think it's been a great example for how we run our business too and work and work together. It's, um, we're able to follow who we are. We're able to explore our passions, uh, even, you know, and have other hobbies outside of, uh, working in the music, music industry, which is still, you know, still my first love going to shows and, and, uh, and, and listening to music, but, um, to be able to explore and take in other inputs um you know from other industries from mm -hmm. other arts and and maybe get inspired for something that feeds back right back into um what we're doing here yeah no that's really beautiful and important and uh, again you know i mean as an artist i think justin emulates and shines a light on that and you guys do that equally from a business perspective uh as managers so that's so great to see and um certainly inspiring to uh to soak in because uh, it, it is it's kind of a it's it's bold to kind of take those moves and and you know really uh lean into it it's a good place to be and if i'm sure it feels good most days but it's still a very bold thing to do it can be lonely, but it's good. Yeah. 
well, that's where the community comes in. Exactly, yeah. right? There's Yes, we do. Well, I might not have a lot of people in my office. There are lots of people around that are all just a phone call away, right? Yeah, that stuff helps a lot. Uh, well, man, thank you for, for batting all this around. Before we go, I always like to ask a few questions. Uh, you almost actually... Uh, stepped into one of these earlier. Um, but we'll get to that one in a moment. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if you, yeah, if you don't mind, we'll just kind of, um, take a moment to go through this. So, uh, what was the first record you encountered, whether you purchased it or heard it or whatever, what was the first thing musically to kind of, and artistically to kind of just resonated with you in a, in a, you know, in a unique way? The, well, the first record I purchased with my own money is uh, maybe is pretty embarrassing, but was it was uh, that band Lifehouse. Um, and I, oh, yeah. Now I'm blanking on the. Yeah. But uh, the first record that really like deeply um, meant something to me was probably Weezer's Blue Album. Mm. Um, that says something about me. I'm not sure. <laughs> no, 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 that's, um, that's a great record but yeah yeah you know and and you know no, no shame in, in life house there's a lot of really good songs and singles yeah right yeah <laughs> Uh, I interviewed Joel Mark uh, a long time ago, um, and uh, he he worked at um, oh I'm forgetting the name of the label now it's basing on me but uh, they put out um, gosh oh man my train of thought is just shot. Um, <laughs> shit, I cannot think. Man, I totally just lost it. Who was it they put out that everyone hates? Uh, Scott Stamp was a singer. I can't think of the band's name. Oh, Creed. Creed, yeah. yeah. So they put out Creed, yeah. and he left yeah. to go and do A&R at MCA, and they thought that he was going to sign another Creed, and he signed Sigaross instead. Uh, sure. Okay. And right. and why he was there, he was the A and R guy for um, for Lifehouse. Amazing. So there you, you know, anyone that can kind of you know walk both those lines, you know, got to got to have some <laughs> right. give some credit there. Um, you know, that's a beautiful thing about music. It's not a competition in a lot of ways. It's absolutely right. You know, it's guilty pleasures aren't so guilty sometimes. Um, yeah. And and our tastes evolve over time exactly right well. right so so earlier you mentioned your first big show that you went to was at roy wilkins here in st paul yep. so what was that it was uh dashboard confessional oh um, nice. brand new uh mxpx and Ooh, I think there was one other band, but yeah, definitely those three. Wow, that's <laughs> punk quite, rock show. Yeah, that's quite the bill. Sort of. uh, yeah. Oh it was. man, I um, I actually saw Dashboard Confessional when they toured and did amphitheaters with uh, Weezer. Oh, nice. Which, yeah. which was just some I've weird seen summer. Seen a handful of times. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Chris Caraba is actually a big fan of, of Josh Rouse. So I've been in touch with Chris oh. off and on over the years. He's a really good guy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so what was the last show you went to? This was obviously a slightly different during the pandemic, but what was the last, you know, obviously yeah. you were out on the road with Justin probably most recently, but what was the last show you went to just for fun. 
Man, yeah. Um, the last show I went to for fun would have been a while ago because, <laughs> well, I had a kid right before the pandemic, oh, right? Yeah. So that was that. <laughs> we I've been living in Dadland for too long. Um, Nothing wrong. Gosh, with that. I yeah. I don't even know what I. Ugh. That's bad. <laughs> I need to go to some shows, I guess. Uh, well, I, I'll give you what I, the next thing I'm attending. Okay, uh, yeah, that works. I just bought tickets. Just bought tickets to see Joe Para, uh, who is my favorite comedian alive at the moment. Oh, awesome! Um, at, yeah. So my wife and I are going to the matinee on Sunday. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome! You know, and and honestly, seeing comedy, stand up comedy is just amazing. It's like such a different, it's so incredibly brave. I mean, if you're a solo artist, you're, you can hide behind a guitar or piano typically, but man, to stand up and do, and and try to warm an audience up and do a routine is just, uh, I just can't even imagine. Uh, it's usually like a birthday tradition. We'll go to the Acme comedy club here and just, yeah. That's that's like a birthday thing for me. Yeah, so. no, that's that's great. Um, there is, a, I was fortunate enough to see George Carlin right after nine eleven, one of his last tours, and wow. uh, HBO has a documentary um, that's coming out later this month on George Carlin. I cannot wait. Um, cool. Yeah, some of my favorite memories. I usually don't throw those in the comedian component <laughs> into like shows, but. It's yeah. just equally as valid. Uh, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, that'll, that'll be amazing um, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, one last question, like outside of, you know, so in music and working industry is so all encompassing at times. What really brings you joy outside of the work that you do? Ooh. Well, I'd be remiss to say if I didn't say my family, but sure. uh, yeah. second, second to that, my new love, is uh sailing uh, oh yeah wow so uh, yeah i have been learning online at never uh, for this point because we live in the midwest sure. <laughs> um how to sail and uh we'll be we're taking some family sailing lessons this summer wow. to learn how to sail yeah that's awesome um, I know a few nature and water and right. Yeah. I know a few people that really love that and, or, you know, that, uh, have a sailboat and kind of do that on a regular basis. And it's, it feels to me, like when they talk about it, it's just like, yeah, otherworldly. It's just completely, you know, it's yeah. A very life affirming, like beautiful thing to, to get into from a hobby perspective. The thing I love. The thing I'm gonna love, or I love the most about it, is just it's calming yet busy. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you don't have to think too hard, but you're always doing something. Mm-hmm. I think you know you're you, but yet there's time to relax and enjoy. So uh, I think uh, being stationary for too long is not something I do well, <laughs> uh, and so in in the latter years of my life, that's what I'm looking forward to is being able to do something or the next phase of my life, being able to do something that keeps me busy, but, uh, is, is, has a nice slow pace to it. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Um, excited to, to, to see how that goes for you for sure. Um, well, thank you again, Josh. This was so much fun. That's awesome, Chris. Thank you. 
Thanks again to Josh for joining us today. Be sure to look us up on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Tough Love Pod. That's T-O-U-G-H-L-O-V-E-P-O-D. And that's where you'll find a link to the short listener survey I mentioned at the top of this episode. We'll love to hear from you there. And of course, you can always reach me directly at chris at toughlovepod.com. For now, be well, trip up, get back up, and let's all learn as we go. Until next time.